And as you're taking a seat, I just want to give this team a rousing round of applause. Can we do that? Thanks, guys. Thanks for leading us this morning, Ryder. I don't know what you were doing in that pre-service song, but it just made me want to boogie. Well, you're going to. You're going to. Just a second, you all get to see me, boogie. I've got some props here for you. I have been gone for about 13 days until a week ago. I was back a week ago. And I really feel like I just need to get reacquainted with a lot of you. So I've got some stories this morning that I'm going to tell that have absolutely nothing to do with the, uh, with the actual message. So buckle up. You get to hear some stories. Story time with Ryan. And, uh, and I, I love that. I love storytelling. And I hope the kids in here enjoy that. One thing I want to do together, again, there's going to be a lot of clapping, a lot of cheering. I want to welcome through the summertime our kids in the room. And they, the, the, the fact that we have six, seven, eight, uh, nine, and 10-year-olds uh, a really big deal. So can we as the adults just cheer for our kids being with us today, this morning? And I don't want to miss either our online crowd because I know some of you right now and uh, you might be around a a campsite at a picnic table having breakfast, wherever the case may be, and you've got the impact service on. I want you to know that we miss you and that we love you and that we can't wait until the point in the time in the future where you're actually able to be a part and be with us. So can we together welcome those that are online joining us this morning? So a couple stories. Uh, this week was actually a lot rougher than I thought it would be to reacclimate. Usually I dive in with gusto when I've been gone for a while. And it's interesting, the ages of our kids sort of dictate the type of vacations that we do, right? Uh, and many of you parents, I hear, I hear you. Yes, that is very true, right? You're not going and relaxing with uh, a six-year-old and a 13-year-old. I'm just sorry. And unless you've come up with a formula where you've been able to do that, and then please see me after and explain to me that formula. Because vacations for us in this season of life are not restful. They're not relaxing. They're taxing actually. They, they strain and they're adventurous and they're experiential and they're tactile and they're awesome. It's kind of the personality I am. So we decided with a six-year-old, we decided with a six-year-old, I want you to catch that, to do a backcountry backpacking trip in the Black Hills of South Dakota. Okay. And, um, and it was all kinds of emotional highs and emotional lows. And uh, the first week was that. Then we moved on to Idaho, uh, the Sawtooth Range in Idaho. That was actually at a ranch, so we got a little bit more, you know, you could at least cook on a stove kind of thing. And it really was phenomenal. Our, like, second day in the Black Hills, we got all our stuff. We packed to our campsite. All my kids have their packs, right? And they're, like, walking like this. And they're trying to, and it just, it was, it was amazing. We got all our food in our packs. We got the different pieces and parts that, that everybody needs in order to contribute to the family's experience. And um, I used to guide in another lifetime, about 21 years ago, I was a guide out in that area. And, and I made a rookie mistake. 
all of the signs and all the biologists and everybody was saying, you don't have to protect your food in this area. There aren't bears. So you don't have to string your food up at night. You don't have to make sure it's in bear-proof cases. Uh, there's just not that particular kind of wildlife in this specific area. So I decided, because I like space in our tent, I decided that I would leave my pack outside of our tent the first night that we were there. And um, I just pulled the rain fly over the top of it, made sure it was tidy. I like to make sure stuff's well taken care of. It's part of my personality. And so I went to sleep and it was along about maybe 1.30 or 2 a.m. I'm a light sleeper and I came awake to the sound of my pack being uh, torn. But I wasn't sure what it was. You know when your brain is like, Something really bad is happening, but I'm not sure what that bad thing is. I heard fabric like shredding and I heard plastic being pulled apart. And then I heard the munchies happening in my pack. And I'm like, no, no, that's my rations for the whole rest of, and immediately I'm kicking myself. Like you moron, you're supposed to be an example to your kids. All their packs are safely in the tent. Yours is outside about 20 feet from the tent. And so I, I ripped open my, uh, my day pack that I, that I had next to me and I put on this thing. I don't even know how I did it because my brain is in all kinds of like foggy and I'm thinking and I yank open the, the tent zipper and I get pretty aggressive when my stuff gets messed with, okay? You guys should know that about me. I really do. I have this switch and I, and I get mad. And so I'm on the run. I don't care what it is. It doesn't even occur to me that it might be a 300 pound black bear against 200 pounds of, uh, I'm not gonna win that, but I don't care. Like this is my pack. And so I'm on a full fledged charge waking up up as I'm doing it um, with not a lot of clothes on either. I need you to know that. And, and I'm, I'm probably like five yards, like from, from me to Amina right here. And, and my light's on. Can you all see that? And it comes to bear on my pack and my brain suddenly screams, skunk. <laughs> <laughs> As a 40-year-old man, my body did things I haven't done since I was 20. <laughs> Full tilt, spin move, like, you know, I'm now 30 yards over here and I'm looking back at my pack and I, I'm, just, just, my brain's going a thousand miles. Maybe I should chuck a giant rock at it. I was like, no, our vacation in South Dakota is over if I do that before it gets started, right? I'm not gonna do that. I had this imagination that I would take a, a 30 foot, you know, pine lodge pole that burned and I would like joust the thing away from my pack. But I'll, no, no, this is not gonna work. And so it came to me, it came to me like an epiphany that with this on, I'm gonna change it. Do you see different colors? Okay. I could, you know, I could maybe do like a dance off <laughs> with the skunk because it's not sure what I am. So if I like, you know, I mean, I could get a little wild out here and just kind of keep moving. And I saw, and I started doing that. I was like, okay, got to get the skunk's attention and then be so creepy that it's like, I don't want any part of that. So I start doing like, <laughs> whoop, whoop. I mean, I'm making sounds I've never made before. I really hope and pray no other campers were awake at this time. And it totally worked. 
It did. And I, I mean, I get it when I think back, like if I was a skunk, I would be out of there. And it just backed out from underneath my rain fly and it looked up and it just kept backing. Like, you know what, dude? You need this way more than I need this. And uh, there's other campers that I'm sure will not be as disturbed as you. So it leaves. And it leaves me alone. It leaves me with several pounds less food. So I lost some pounds on the trip, which is not a bad thing. I appreciate the skunk for that reason. And I, uh, you know, the rest of the trip maybe wasn't quite as eventful. Yeah, there were some other things that possibly were. But coming back was so interesting. And this is where I'll tell you just a second story real quick here. Um, we got back and... Being out west, is a, it's just a different experience right now than the Midwest because the density of population is so much less. And so there's almost a suspension of disbelief where uh, the virus is concerned, where all the different things that we're challenged with in, in areas that are much more densely populated. So coming across Wyoming and coming across Nebraska, if you, by the way, if you make it across Nebraska and you survive, you are a victor that place will suck the soul out of you so fast. And then we hit Iowa and we hit Des Moines and we hit Illinois and I got screamed at at a gas pump because I didn't have a mask. I'm like, okay, we're back in Kansas, Toto. Um, and then Michigan and coming back, you know, just it put, it was heavy. There was a heaviness to it, not to mention the humidity here. Hate it. If there's anything that was gonna make me move, it would be the humidity here. And our third day back, so it was like Wednesday night, my, I'll come awake at maybe three in the morning uh, regularly and my brain just has had opportunity to process things I wouldn't give it time to process during the day. And so it'll wake me up with all kinds of, and I'll just go out to the couch and I'll, I'll think and I'll pray. Sometimes I'll read. So I got out to the couch and I'm there for about five minutes and all of a sudden I heard my wife, Ryan, which... That doesn't happen. My wife does not wake up. Sleep for her is not to be disturbed, ever. So I sit bolt upright. Did Heather just say Ryan? And then it comes again, Ryan! And I'm up and like running again, back the hallway. And she met me coming out. She's like, do you hear that? Well, I'm like, what? Somebody breaking in the house that I'm not hearing? Is a water pipe burst? You know, so I stop and I start listening. I don't hear anything. She said, it's out on the other side of the bedroom. The dogs are killing something. And I was right in the hallway where you can turn and go out our mudroom. So I just spun and I went to our door and I opened the door and a wall of skunk pee that you could chew hit me straight in the face. That skunk from South Dakota <laughs> figured a way to get on my van and follow me all the way back to Michigan and get me. And I'm telling you kids, kids in the room, skunks are not to be messed with. Here's the moral of the story. Dude, they'll get you. They'll get you. Don't mess with those suckers, okay? I mean, we're boiling vinegar from 4 a.m. to like 6. Boiled vinegar doesn't smell a whole lot better than skunk, okay? Our whole house was permeated. Maybe another moral of the story is sometimes after service, everybody comes up here uh, and, and you want to talk. Don't do that today because I still smell like a skunk. Um, 
true story. We're going to talk about a story. And so maybe that's the only connection. I want you to to, to uh, turn in your Bibles, if you have them, kids, this is an opportunity maybe for you to show mom and dad up, because a lot of times I see you carrying your Bibles and your mom and dad isn't or aren't. Uh, go ahead and turn to uh, Numbers chapter uh, 22. We're going to talk about a guy named Balaam today, an unknown story, an obscure story that I think doesn't get enough press. If you have your phone, I believe in the collective reading of the Word of God together. So open your phone, get on your Bible app, go to Numbers chapter 22. And what we're doing in this story is we want to look, the title of the message is Dashboard Warning Signs. And this story is a phenomenal illustration and example of a situation in the scriptures where God gives us a very clear evidence that he's given our heart these these particular portals through which we can see who he is and who we are better. Like the RPMs, how fast are you revving that engine? Is it actually getting up into the red ever? Does your, if, if your oil gauge goes on and there's not enough fluid in your system, that engine isn't gonna keep working. And one of the things that I think happens as a follower of Jesus is we will get to a particular place in our life where we are, we are stopped in the median, we're over here and there's smoke and there's steam and every other kind of gas coming out from under our hood. And we're like, man, I don't understand what went wrong. And then all of a sudden we notice, oh, the check engine light's on. And it's been on, and it's been on, and it's been on, and we haven't paid attention. And here in this story of Balaam, we're going to get some some clear uh, evaluation tools for our heart. Now listen to this. The story you're telling with your life, that story is an interpretation of your heart and, and hear me, an evaluation of God's voice in your life. You can, you can take a step back and scrutinize your dashboard. We're gonna do that. We're gonna back up all the way into the Old Testament and we're gonna look at the kind of dashboards they had back in the Old Testament, which we saw on our vacation. Look at these things. What is that, kids? Nobody knows what that is? <laughs> I understand. Somebody said it. Donkey. It's a donkey. It's a burrow. King James calls it another word. I won't use it. <laughs> this is what our man Balaam is actually writing. And I want to set the context of the story for you real quickly, okay, so that you understand. We're going to join the story in, this, in the 21st verse of chapter 22, but some stuff sets it up for us ahead of time. I want to set that up for you. The people of Israel, God's chosen people in God's story with the people of Israel, he has brought them out of Egypt and the first generation of former Hebrew slaves to the Egyptian people, he brings them right to the brink of the promised land. Remember last, last uh, weekend, Jason talked about being on the brink and God brings the people of Israel to the edge of the promised land. He's like, here it is. This is the next step in my mission for you as my 
people and they get to the edge and as a nation of slaves, the concept of freedom and the concept of being God's people, they wanted that, but they didn't want God to be their God and for him to have the authority to do what he said he would do. Sounds a lot like us sometimes. I wanna be your people, God, but I don't necessarily wanna listen to what you want in my life. And so they backed away from the promised land. And as a result, God says, you you don't have what it takes. This generation doesn't have what it takes. And so God is gonna use their children because the next generation will have what it takes. And so Israel wanders for 40 years in the arid, dry places of the Middle East, just wandering. They're a nomadic, uh, tribal people, transient people in that season. We joined them in Numbers chapter 22 and year 38 of their wandering. They're about ready to go back to the promised land. And they're passing by a people called the Midianites in the land of Moab. Now, I told you we're gonna talk about Balaam. Balaam is a prophet of God. He's also some other things. And he is a Moabite or a Midianite, okay? There is a king, King Balak. So we got King Balak and we've got the prophet Balaam in our story. And Balak does not like that this huge millions of people that are nomadic tribe are passing through his territory. And he decides he's gonna mess with them. He decides he's gotta do something to try to stop them. But instead of outright warfare, he comes up with this brilliant idea. He's so concerned with what he's heard of the God of the Israelites. Yahweh, that he thinks, you know, if I go to Balaam and I ask Balaam if he'll intervene and sort of turn the heart of of Israel's God against the Israelite people, then they're dead in the water. And I win before things get started. It's actually pretty brilliant. So he sends his princes to Balaam and he sends with them a fee called the diviner's fee. Now that's a key part of the story because as we understand Balaam, we start to see that that money and that manna and that prestige is a really big deal and that he starts to consider the temptation of dispensing the word of God as a prophet of God with all these abilities and all these gifts that to carry God's word, this precious thing, that to put that up for sale might make him a rich man. This is important for us. It's important for us as Christians as we look at this story to understand that there's a root issue here and it is really who's gonna be Balaam's God? That's the question as we enter in. And so Balak sends his princes, his envoy, and he sends money and Balaam says, you know, uh, let me consider your request. You want me to go curse Israel? Uh, I'm gonna check with Yahweh first and just see if that's okay. Go ahead and stay here and God and I will talk tonight and I'll give you an answer in the morning. And so the next morning, this all happens right before where we're gonna join the story. Balaam gets up and he says, listen, I talked to God last night and God's answer was no, do not go with them and do not curse my people for my people are blessed. A translation of blessed means these are my people. My protection is over them. I care for them. You are not to harm them. That's the answer. That's the answer right at the beginning. That's the thing Balaam knew immediately. 
So he goes to the prince. He's like, you know, and he kind of equivocates a little bit. But this was what God said. So I can't go with you guys. And they go back to Balak and they say, hey, he's, he's, he said no, but a little more and a little more might push him over the edge. And so Balak's like, well, okay, we need it. So he sends twice, three times the amount of his first fee and he sends more um, prestigious princes to persuade and there's this fame and there's this fortune that Balaam considers a second time. This is where we join the story. He listens for God. God's like, don't do it. But you know, as I hear you this second time, I can tell that we're in a battle for some part of your heart. And so, so look at this, join us in verse 21, here we go. Balaam got up in the morning, he saddled his donkey, there's his dashboard, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him as well. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, this is the donkey saw, it turned off the road into a field. And Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. You guys, you ever driving down the road and the, the car suddenly takes control? Unless you're driving a Tesla, please pay attention to that. Okay? What, what are you, why are we off the road? What is going on here? Listen, God may offer a reluctant yes to our disobedience if we persist. Hear this, hear this. If God is starting to look in your heart and seeing that some of the instrument panels of your soul are not registering correctly, that things aren't healthy the way a dashboard should be, he loves us too much to let that go. Here's what's going on here. Balaam asks a second time, even though he had the word from God initially, he knew what God's edict in the situation was. And he, when he asks a second time, it would be like this, because we do this as people. I'll, I'll I'll start with husbands. You know how you have the event planned and you've been planning it for six months and your wife's really been the one that's been doing all the heavy lifting to make this special social event happen that's also gonna double as a date and you haven't been on a date in six months anyway. And, and so you're excited to go and you're, it's, it's gonna be fun. It's a relational thing. And then your buddy calls you and he's like, dude, I got these awesome tickets to a game. And it's one of those games where we get to be in the clubhouse and it's all you can eat. And you're gonna, we're gonna eat and then we're gonna go watch the game. And then we're gonna eat some more. And then we're gonna go watch more parts of the game. And you're like, whoa, that's what I wanna do. And so you go to your wife, say, honey, the thing that conflicts with the thing, um, we could do something really special another time. There's no way that you can communicate that without demeaning the specialness of what you had planned, without demeaning the communication, the date that you had. I'm sorry, I don't care how good it is. And so she says, no, babe, this is us. We're gonna do this. I'm sorry, you could do another thing with your buddies. And you're like, yeah, that's true. So you call your friends and then he brings more friends. Come on, man. And there's texts flying around. Can you tell I've lived this story? <laughs> and you go back to your wife. Sweetheart, I mean, is there a way I could love you and make this special and still not do this with you? <laughs> and she says, sure. 
Don't do it, dudes. <laughs> but God was very angry when he went. God is not a thing or a thought. God is a person. God's in a relationship with you. And when in your life, something else is more important, even good stuff, which this is not Balaam's case, and you start to make the other things more important than God, we're in a battle for who matters most. And the second part of this, parents, you understand this. Your kid comes to you for the thousand and one, the millionth time and asks if they can jump off the roof again. Now you think that's funny. That has happened to me. My son wants to jump off our roof. And at a certain point, no haters in here, please. I said, go ahead. I'm done telling you that there are natural consequences because you're bound and determined to, to, to discover those natural consequences. Parents, we know this. God is also our father. Balaam, do not do it. Do not do it. But if you're gonna, do it. But listen, here's what's awesome in the story. God's anger drives him to keep trying. This is where it's very different than a lot of our relationships. God's anger is righteous. God's like, I'm coming for you and I'm coming for you and you just ticked me off and I'm gonna try harder. He is, his love undergirds his anger and he won't stop. That's awesome about our God. I'm not gonna quit. So Balaam, I'm putting an angel in your way. Balaam's stupid, can't see it, dumber than his own donkey. 24. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. Okay, I'll move back and I'm gonna pin a little bit more. I'm gonna make it a little bit more uncomfortable for you. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall. You guys get the impression this donkey is like, please, I just wanna live through this day and none of this is my fault. And, uh, and it pressed closer to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. I grew up farming. I'm telling you, there are times when you beat donkeys and cows and you're just so frustrated. In this situation, Balaam's fixated on the thing or the inanimate object or the creature and he has got no view of his own heart right now. And God's like, I'd rather crush your foot than take your life. See, that's also encouraging and we don't think of it that way. I'm trying to get your attention, but your soul matters more to me than your foot. The formation of your character matters more to me than whether you lose an object of your life or whether you've got to go through some hardship because you matter so much and I love you so much and I see this sin eating you alive. I'll break your foot if that's what it takes. His grace is not always gentle with us. His grace is so great that he will overcome every barrier we keep throwing in the way, every piece of tape we stick on the dashboard so that we don't have to pay attention to the instrument signs. He will break your foot and it's out of love that he'll do it. That's hard, but that's good. 
please don't keep ignoring the signals. And the angel of the Lord watches Balaam beat the donkey the second time. I, I think this angel is like, God, just tell me when, man. Because that poor mule is getting mangled. And I don't like it. So he backs up. It's a ravine. It's a ravine. There's no room to get around. It's not a two-way street anymore. You can't pass me by. It's the third time. It's the last time. The angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam. And he was angry and he beat it with his staff. God will hem you in. He'll, he'll, he'll hem you in. He'll put his arms around you tighter and tighter and he'll cinch down and he'll pin you down. So you got to look him in the eye and show him your soul. And we are so good at writhing around twisting and disfiguring ourselves and working our darndest to get out of that hold so we don't have to have our own soul exposed. He wants not only to know our real heart, but to show us our real heart. I gave you a dashboard. Look at it. Look at it. And I think there's something else really interesting that might be an encouragement to some of us in our life here. Look at this donkey. This dumb, stupid, unspectacular, non-gifted donkey. I have talked to Christians that are like, well, I can't do that because they got all the gifts. What, what good am I? What am I worth? I'm just, you know, the mundane, ho-hum, get walking forward. Listen, God will look at the most extraordinarily gifted, the most exceptional people, the most beautiful people. You ever not like beautiful people? Because how come I didn't get beautiful? You ever not, I, athletic people. Just walk around. All I had to do is do that, and it happened, you know, that's how good I am. There's a lot of those people. I didn't even try. They got it. Balaam is that person. Balaam's not even an Israelite, and he is given the gift of prophecy. Top-notch, top-shelf, exceptional gift. And he is an idiot. And his donkey, his donkey is being used by God. The difference between exceptional and normal to God is obedience. That's it. Obedience. Will you keep your eyes open and look for me? I promise you, Christian, I promise you, if you will do that, God will use you. That is bedrock Bible right there. If you will obey, he will use you. And you might never even know it, okay? Our donkey gets to know it, and it's pretty cool. Check this out, 28. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. Can we stop right there? <laughs> this isn't just he opened his mouth. He had to give the donkey a brain to speak. 
He had to speak through the donkey. There's times that I'm up here and I know he's speaking to you guys through a donkey. And it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Seems like the obvious question, yeah? What have I done? And Balaam answered the donkey, you have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you now. I would slit your throat and we would be done with this. Let's not miss verses 28 and 29 right here. When, when the donkey says, what have I done? Listen, we're starting to make progress in reading and understanding our dashboard because what has to happen here is that Balaam has to reckon with what's actually true instead of the construct of his disobedient direction, instead of the construct of his disorientation that was the perfect thing. Instead of dealing with his recklessness, now he has, he's confronted with is this my fault? You guys, this happens in our life when we're really, really ticked off at a certain situation, sometimes inanimate objects. Have you ever seen people like take up their golf clubs and mangle them? Somebody smiled back here. Yep, we, we've seen that. I think looking at someone else, so that's interesting. Uh, there is situations where we take out our ire and our anger and our disappointment in ourselves at, on, on inanimate, completely unliving objects. And we just freak out. Can I tell you that is a good tell? That's a good thing for you to be like, whoa, whoa, what is going on in my life? What indicator just went nuts? Why did I do that? Worse than that, when we take it out on our kids who did not have anything to do with what's really going on underneath the hood, but they're a physical presence in the room that annoyed you. It's powerful because, because it's gonna bring Balaam to a critical point. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not? <laughs> I think of her as a she. I'm sorry, it doesn't say that, but I think she's a she. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey? I'm your donkey, dude. We've got a long history together. Let me justify my position here. Which you have always ridden to this day. Faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No. Circle, highlight, underline, no, if you're following along. Because it's a single word and it's an admission of something. See, before we can get to the next part of the story where the angel takes Balaam, we have to get to, oh, it's not everybody else's fault. It's not everything else's fault. I'm not able to blame and really believe that they were the cause of this or that that thing caused this. This is, has application throughout every aspect of our life. Right now, a lot of us are filled with anger and rage and it lashes out at anybody else that has any sort of position in our life, especially if that position is remotely contrary to us. Is that an indicator of something deeper going on in your soul 
Will you ask that question of yourself today, please? 31 says, then, again, one word, circle, highlight. When we admit, then. When we confess, oh, it wasn't their fault. When we're willing to be honest about something, to really take the nitty gritty look at the situation, then that willingness in us, see that's choice. It's the one thing God will not violate in us. You have to choose. You are given this autonomous ability that is the divine spark of God inside of you. That is the moment that God has made a a headway breakthrough. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, now we come to the next step. Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? It's almost the same question. Only the donkey was like, what have I done? And the angel says, now that you've answered, the donkey didn't do anything. Why have you beaten your donkey three times? God going right for the right instrument in in Balaam's dashboard. You gotta see this, bro. You gotta recognize this, man. You need to ask the question why you're on this cotton-picking journey in the first place. What are you doing out here? Why, Balaam? Because it wasn't me that put you on this devastating pathway. It was your choice. And now we're talking about your choice. What did you choose, Balaam? Do you get that honest with yourself, follower of Jesus? Do you really honestly look at the signs and the signals in your soul? Because God wants you to. Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. That word reckless means, its actual meaning is perverse. Not only are you headed in a devastating trajectory, but with all the gifts and all the glory and all the things I gave you, you are taking Balak and the Midianites and the Moabite people and you are throwing them in disarray because they're not getting an accurate picture of who I am. In addition to that, you're about to go curse my people. Your way isn't just reckless, it's perverse. It's destruction in a hand grenade that you're carrying around wondering when it's gonna go off. Don't, don't proceed. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now. But I would have spared it. God will use spectacular countermeasures to our dullness in order to reveal his illumination in the dark places of our soul. And actually, when you walk out of here today, that should be a great encouragement to you. He's not going to stop. 33, I want to take just a second. The donkey saw me. The donkey saw me. Underline that. 
and turned away from me these three times. God is visible, audible, and tangible to our earnest and humble surrender. This is where I, this is what I want to leave today in, in our few, last few minutes. I don't want to leave you going, oh my gosh, that moron Balaam, and I'm like him. What am I supposed to do? I don't want you guys like driving home going, angel of the Lord, with a sword, right there. That's not, that's not what I want. Because here's the thing, there's this progressive way that God intervened. There's this progressive, relational, personal, beautiful way that God tried to get Balaam's attention. He is just one stubborn dude. The donkey though, is the hero of the story. The, the donkey that has nothing, it's a slave. It lives its life to serve Balaam. It's helpless, oppressed, demeaned, beaten. The donkey saw me. I asked my kids, this happened, uh, this happened also this last week. There's just been a lot that's happened this last week. Skunked and, and all kinds of other stuff. Um, on Tuesday night, I had this, we have these family meetings sometimes. I try to make them encouraging, but there's days where they're just not, they're discouraging. And my kids were heavy with, vacation was awesome and we got to do whatever we wanted and we got to eat whatever we wanted and we got to go wherever we wanted and we got what we wanted when we wanted and now we're back and all that's changed and we don't like it. So it's been mayhem, utter rebellion in my house, even the first two days of last week. And so on Tuesday, dad said, we're going to talk about this. And I talked about self-centeredness and selfishness and I asked them to examine their soul. I have a six-year-old. Dad, you want me to examine my soul, but I don't know how to do that. I have a nine-year-old. This again. I have an 11-year-old. I really would like to do that. I have a 13-year-old. Yeah, I know how to do that. It sucks. Okay. Just real quick, those are the age differences right there. Um, and so I was putting Savannah to bed, and I'm laying her down, and I said, Savannah, um, the conversation we just had you seemed the most, like, I, just agitated. She was just agitated. I could see it all over, just bothered by this, this family conversation. I said, what's, what's that? What's eating you? you know? And I'm tired, and I'm wiped out, and I'm, you know, the, the week's been heavy. And she said, she said to me, uh, I don't understand selfishness, I guess, which was really profound. So I said, I can't always explain I'm not always good at being the oracle. I, you know what, sweetheart? Sometimes Jesus has to be the one to show you what is going on. And you got to ask. She sat bolt upright and she looked at me. And it was chilling. She said, I have asked. And he doesn't say anything. I'm too tired to have this conversation. <laughs> so... I said, sweetie, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna think and we'll talk about it later. Sometimes I have to do that. So we did, the next night at dinner time. I said, and I started with a confession. I said, maybe I have been remiss in not explaining how God talks to us, but one thing I am certain of, 
with all of my being is that he does. And Savannah, if you're expecting God to show up in your bedroom with a, in the form of an angel and say, hey, sweet, how, how are you doing? I'm here to answer your questions. You're going to freak out, run down in my bedroom and scream, I've lost my mind. I'm gonna say, this is how I started. This is how I opened. I said, see, we, you, you want an audible because it's simple and it's easy and it's quick. But God doesn't work with us in simple and easy and quick very often. And so what I want you to know is how he does work with us. And in order to do that, I want to hear from your siblings. How do you think God talks to us? It was awesome. And Grace said this to my nine-year-old. After pondering it, she's a thinker. She said, people, other people. She said, uh, they'll say something clearly and plainly true that I needed to hear because I had asked Jesus about it. That's collective discernment. That's the people of God. You need to know that God will talk to you and he will give you signals and signs and he will explain your dashboard through other people who love Jesus, through other people who are willing to listen, through other people who will intervene in your life and will be a sounding board and a spokesperson for you. It's like these bees. Did you already put the picture up? Look at this. Donkeys don't just do it, bees do it. Collectively, they're given an instinct by God when there is an emergency to chain themselves together for the greater good of the hive. If that's not a picture of the church, what the church should be, collective discernment, the people of God will faithfully speak God's voice into your life. And then Bryn, Bryn said, Jesus will show other people how to show me what he wants me to know from his Bible because she can't read the Bible yet. But what she's articulating is I see the importance of it. God will speak to us, he promises faithfully through his word. The problem is that we don't actually read his word. Not very often, not very thoroughly, and not with passion and intensity. So who's not showing up? Is it God or is it you? The word of God is the map and the compass that he has given to orient our life so that our trajectory is not reckless, is not perverse, but is in fact exactly where he wants us to be in the direction he wants us to go. And Garrett said, he's getting older and he's really processing these things. It was awesome. He said, uh, a feeling creeps into my stomach and connects to what Jesus asked me to do and I can sense his direction. This is consecrated interpretation. This is where God actually begins to give you a sense and a conviction and a belief about what he wants you to do next, about what he wants you to turn from sometimes. No, don't do that. Or what he wants you to move towards sometimes. Yes, do this. The spirit of God faithfully comes in like this picture of the heart. Check this out. Like, like taking us and if we could just shift our perspective and move the millimeters on the lens to see that when God infuses us, he will actually give us a sense. Sometimes it's a sense of peace. Sometimes it's a sense of, of, of righteous indignation. Sometimes it's a sense of certainty. Sometimes it's a very clear sense of that's wrong. Don't do that. 
God will talk to us through his Holy Spirit. The word of God is clear on that. And then finally, Grace and Bryn came in the last one together. And Gracie said, I love this. She said, also, Dad, she's my interrupter. Also, Dad, signs. Signs. Yeah, signs. Like when I got my tonsils out, and I'm confused. I'm like, okay, I don't, did God give you a sign? Yeah, yeah, totally gave me a sign. I was like, okay, well, what, what, was, what was the sign? And she said, a sign, a sign. I need to know what the sign was. It was a sign, <laughs> like a thing on the door of the surgeon's office. Oh, a sign, okay, I get it, I'm following. Yeah, I prayed because I was sure I was gonna die because I kept hearing that when you get your tonsils out, they cut your throat. That's true. And when you cut your throat, the jugular and that's, and we're done, you know? So I was like, but I need it, but they want to cut my throat. So I was like, God, I don't know how it's going to work with me living. So will you please help me to know whether it's okay? Because if you say it's not okay, I ain't going in there. I didn't know any of this. This happened a while ago. And um, she said, I walked into the surgeon's center and there was a sign that said, welcome with a smiley face. And I knew it was God. Everything was going to be okay. And Bryn said to me, Dad, you know, music, sometimes a song has Jesus in it for me. <laughs> me too. Me too. Us too. When you're worshiping, some of you, they're a little reluctant with the hands. But when you get to a point where the Spirit of God is like moving you because he's talking to you and you reach out and you say, God, I'm here and I see you. And I know you see me. So this last one is created truth. It's, it's the word of, it's the world of God showing us the word of God. He will talk to you through the world around us. And, and to wrap up, I just wanna, I just wanna say this. I, I am certain that God is giving you his attention in innumerable ways every single day. I'm positive of it. And some of you might wanna stand up in your seat right now and say, I don't know because I don't hear. Listen to what Jesus said when his disciples came to him with a similar statement. In Matthew 7, he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you, to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks will be opened. Here's the issue. We don't understand that translation. This ask as a verb, seek as a verb, and knock as a verb, is present, second person, active, imperative. Now, you're like, this is the end of the sermon, and I'm tired of you, and I want to leave. I get it. Hang with me for one second. Second person, active, imperative. This is a statement of, uh, as if Jesus is saying, in fact, a translation as a command comes here. We don't think of it as a command, but anything that's imperative is a command. He's saying, ask and ask and ask. Seek and seek and seek. Knock and knock 
and knock again. And then secondly, because of the active part in this translation, when he said that to his disciples, what it would have sounded like was not just ask and ask, it would have been and keep on asking, seek and seek and keep on seeking, knock and knock and keep on knocking. And here is why that's important. Because the issue when we pray and we're talking to God is not about whether God is there, it's about whether we are in a position to actually listen and hear from God. That is the issue. It is always the issue. And when we actually intently and intensely and intentionally pray, God shows up in all manner, in all kinds of different means to meet us there and peel back the dashboard and say, here's what I need you to know. He will do it, I promise whether it's a book you're reading, whether it's a conversation you're having, but you've got to be in a posture and a disposition of listening to him. And instead of this, what we often do as American Christians is we toss some prayers like dandelion seeds in the wind, poof, poof, poof. And we're like, I don't know, where'd they go? Nothing happened. And God's like, I'm not showing up for that. You don't wanna hear from me. You're pretending. Get real. Get serious. Don't stop asking. Don't stop knocking. Don't stop seeking. Because I'll show up and I'll change your life. Go today believing he'll change your life. And that he'll show up. Let's pray. God, I, I just, for all of us, I ask that this will have sunk in and will take root. And God, we know that the soil of our soul is like hard clay. It just is from the dawn of time, from the beginning. And that for you to actually plant seeds, you have to break the clay apart and make good loamy soil and we surrender God I think there may be people in this room that need to surrender and you just say God I'm listening I'm here and I'm going to stay here I'm not going to be like Balaam direct me and I will move so Lord, we pray that your spirit would move. We pray that we would see you. We pray that we would hear you. We pray that this week would be the beginning of something absolutely stunning because we're not gonna go on a journey we shouldn't be on. We're gonna go on a journey where your purpose is clear. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty, matchless, glorious name. Amen. Thanks for coming today, guys.